Welcome to Who Do You Think You Are? A podcast that takes you through the universe, exploring the incredible diversity of Jewish histories and identities. This episode features a conversation with Kenneth Owele Okafor, an architect and activist for Black British Judaism. I spoke to Kenneth in September 2023, but along with other episodes, we put this conversation on ice after October 7th, and I'm happy to bring this episode out for his birthday in March 2024. Happy birthday, Kenneth! This conversation is a bit like the one with Nina from episode 3, in that it is more of an adventure with our guest into their personal journey discovering their Jewish identity. Kenneth talks about the influence of growing up in Stamford Hill, following his heart towards converting to Judaism, but then discovering the wealth of African Jewish histories and uncovering his own connection to those communities. In this episode, you're going to hear about the Jews of the Sahel, from West Africa across to Ethiopia. And as this isn't a history podcast, please follow the show notes to learn more. We also talk about how it feels to be black and Jewish and British and religious and how others react and how Kenneth has found his path intersectional and interwoven. Kenneth also talks about meeting former members of the Israeli Black Panthers, the power of the Mizrahi community, tackling racism from other Jews, the impact of lasting trauma from racism, colorism, colonialism, anti-Semitism, and how education can heal. And that's something that brings us together in our experiences through linking communities and telling stories. So let's do that and meet Kenneth Awele Okafor. Kenneth, could you please introduce yourself? My name is uh, Kenneth Awele Okafor. I'm a first generation, being born and raised in London, England. Lived in Hackney for 14 years. My parents are originally from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved from Hackney to Enfield to Finchley. I lived in Brighton, Glasgow. Now I'm living in Sheffield, working as an architect, also an interior designer. And also I'm dealing with like mentoring with younger generation and also doing collaboration work with African Jewish communities. That's, that's where I'm currently at at the moment. Wow. So you've, first of all, you, so you've really traveled around London and England a bit. So that's, that's cool. And your work, I guess, means that you get to see different communities up close because architects yeah. get to do that, right? It's, it's like, uh, it's quite a community focused activity. Yeah. You're clearly not Gen X like me. So whereabouts would you put yourself just for the listeners to get a sense of where you, where you come in time? I was born in 1987. So, okay. okay. Well, <laughs> that puts it pretty clearly. So we get to the question of the podcast, and it's a really simple one, which is, Kenneth, who do you think you are? My Jewish identity is kind of a long story because I've been brought up in a household, you know, with Christian mm-hmm. heritage. I do have relatives who are Christian, Muslims and Jews. When I was six, seven years old, um, I've been heard the stories um, just to put more detail. Um, my family mm-hmm. tribe, and uh, there's a lot of stories about whether or not the Igbos are from Israel and the tribe of Israel and there's been a lot of comparisons between the Igbo people and the Jewish people in terms of customs and practice and and the way they do things in terms of business and industrial work. My Jewishness kicked in at a younger age because 
you could also say that my um my my dyslexia got involved with the idea where I've embraced Judaism when I went to mm-hmm. a um special educational needs school in Stanford Hill. So that's mm-hmm. when I first came about, you know, with the rabbinical Judaism, seeing the Haredi Jewish community in Stanford Hill, going to library visits, you see large Jewish families, but my school is actually a secular school within that atmosphere. So that's how I come about with my um, Jewish identity, Jewish awareness. And then I got more into it as times go by because my school did a lot of uh, interfaith sessions with a Haredi Jewish school. We had a few mm-hmm. visitors and that's where I learned about, um, you know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and uh, Passover. So there's a lot of things I've learned during time. And one of my learning assistants were Jewish as well, secular Jew. She taught me everything about Judaism and well, you know, in terms of their cultural customs and and practice. And I think that's how I got into it at a younger age. And then followed up with watching a lot of TV when I was younger. Um, you know, there's like cartoon shows like Rugrats, Hey Arnold, Arthur, um, The Simpsons. There's a lot of <laughs> Jewish themed aspects that got me in field. Um, I was watching um a um Israeli uh, not, not Israeli but like an Israel holiday advert uh Iliad with the Haban Nagala. Oh yeah yeah in the it's in the mid nineteen nineties. I was watching it <laughs> you know, on ITV or Channel Four and this comes mm-hmm. up every weekend and myself and my siblings would be singing it together. It's that's the catching aspect. As well as being brought mm. up as a hospital supporter and during back that time as well. And of course hearing about Ronnie Rosenthal, the Israeli uh football player as well as Alan Sugar being the chairman of the football club. So, and as well, Tottenham Hospital have that strong association of Jewish customs, there's a Yiddish culture, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Y word as well. So that's how I got into Judaism. So that's quite a, a long, far-fetched journey in terms of how I got into Judaism at that start. And then mid 2000s started to explore my, you know, my Judaism in terms of looking into, you know, joining the Jewish community and looking in terms of, going through the conversion process within the reform movement. And that's how I embraced Judaism from there. But also, wow. as, despite the fact that I did my conversion through Ashkenazi customs, mm-hmm. you know, as times go by, I discovered, you know, let me do some kind of DNA ancestry research. I discovered I've got a bit of uh, Mishrahi uh, Ethiopian heritage, a bit of aspect of defining my Jewish identity. So overall, I would define my Jewish identity as more of a Maghrebi Igbo Jew. Uh, mm-hmm. Maghrebi in terms of a mix of Safadi, Mishrahi, because of there's a lot of things going on within North Africa and West Africa. I've got a bit of Berber heritage as well as um, Ethiopian heritage. So it's it's like based on my ancestry, like my ancestors were traveling across those regions based upon slave trade and doing a lot of practical stuff to enable business going abroad. The stories about the Igbos from Israel, which, I, in my opinion, I, I don't think the Igbos are from Israel, that they're setting within that area of West Africa. But from what I discovered, because I've got a Hausa heritage, so it's through, it seems like it's through the Hausa, then through the Berbers, through the Sudanese, through the Ethiopians, and then through the Middle East. So it seems like my ancestors were sold or traded to those regions to do their work in terms of craftsmanship or skillful um, tasks in that process so it's a work in progress but as times go by i met my long lost third cousins fourth cousins who happen to be jewish or from the arab countries or somalia or um kenya um even one person i met from yemen 
some wow. Spain, Portugal. So a lot of things is like amazes me from what I discovered about how Jews have intertwined with other communities, Arab communities, and other groups across Africa, North North Africa, West Africa, East Africa, even some parts of even West Asia from Turkish. I want to go back a few steps. So I love that word intertwine, the complexity of your identities and the things that you're uncovering, you know, like the threads that have been, that are knotted within you, the DNA journeys, but also just meeting people in the family, following name stories, seeing where they lead. It's a journey that not everyone does i can see is the is the excitement on your face and that's really that's that must be a really lovely experience to do that it's back then there's no borders so everything's going between that region of ethiopia in in that region of africa everything's like borderless and things exchanged that you're talking about pre-slave trade moments and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of cultural aspects a lot of bold cultures back then so there's a that's the thing where i discovered okay this is fascinating and this is where you know, this idea of um, assimilation and how how they do occur. Like people hear about the, the deconstruction of the Second Temple and then they'll mm-hmm. go to North Africa and then they'll set them in West Africa or East Africa. And that's that's why you hear of today about the emerging Jewish communities. It's fascinating to see that there's a lot of collaborations. It's a very London story in lots of ways, right? Um, yeah. I, uh, I actually grew up in Clapton down the road from Stanford Hill. Um, I live with my Indian grandparents. Um, and uh, there weren't many other Indian people living there at the time. Mm. Lots and uh, lots of Jewish people, which is, I think, you know, it's only increased. Growing up in a place where Jewish festivals and the times of the Jewish day, because people were, you could see the Haredim moving mm. around, going through those things, let alone the festivals, just the day, day-to-day life. So I, it, I can see how those if it's there and it is in your you know it was there in your family and those questions were there there's you were in an incredible context where perhaps any almost any not anywhere else but there aren't many places where you would have been able to have accessed and had those experiences how does your ethnic background shape your identity in relation to those jewish stories i have two ways to define my my identity um firstly you know I, I always identify myself as a British black Jew outside the Jewish community because mm-hmm. I think it's just as, it, okay, it's a social construct of how you define yourself, but I think it's just this, it's just, it's a way to define yourself and then you go into detail. So when you get yeah. into that comfort, say, oh, okay, you're British black Jew, but what type of British black Jew are you? So, you know, it's, it's, it's not a monolith. So it's just looking into that context. So I, I always like I've done I've done articles, I've done interviews and, you know, I've always put the emphasis of being a British black Jew. I don't want to get into that, um, you know, situation where because the term black Jew tends to be intertwined or mixed up with the black Hebrew Israelite. I'm a rabbinical Jew. So just looking in terms of what we practice as Jews, because within the black community, there's a few people who are identified as Hebrew Israelites. So yeah, I, 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 just 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 to hold up on that for a sec, because not everyone will know about that distinction. We can put some stuff in the show notes so people can look up in more detail. Yeah. But very in, as a sort of simple way of describing, do you want to have a go at sort of, sort of d- making that distinction between those two groups? Yes, um, the the Black Hebrew Israelites are a group of um, you could say people who have um, Afro Caribbean descent that are actually believe that. Um, they have their own defined way of who is from the lost tribes of Israel. So mm. they see that uh, communities from 
um, Africa or South America are like the true people who are from the, the true tribes of Israel. They identify as being Jewish. I guess it could be from the outside, people could, it could if they didn't understand some of the religious or the sort of stories behind it, they might just assume that it's the same sort of thing, right? They might just say, hey, well, they're Jewish and you're Jewish. What's the difference? But actually, there's there's quite a lot. There is there is there's a big difference. Um, there is there is an existing African Hebrew Israelite community in, in Israel from Dimona. So th- those communities are quite respectable in such a way. I think there's some communities in the Western culture, especially in the US and the UK, that are, have their own perspective. You know, unfortunately, there's a few anti-Semitic remarks from them towards the Haredi Jewish community and the Orthodox Jewish community and the secular Jewish community, you know, not seeing them as legitimate. And it does, mm. does lead a bit of a concern, you know, what happened with Kanye West and other mm. individuals that caused a bit of um, issues based upon heritage. I have no issues with the Black Hebrews rights no. in terms of heritage and culture. Have you experienced that where people have jumped to the conclusion or if they've known about the, the Black Israelites that they've assumed that's what that's where you're coming from? Or My goal is just to differentiate the two. And, you know, I, I have no problems with the way they, they, they define themselves. But it's just the mm. context is quite problematic, especially with, with Jewish communities that have been associated with Judaism for a very, very long time. And then, you know... You have a group of people that discredited their their connections and ancestry. It's a bit disrespectful. Yeah, I, I guess my parallel to that would be that my uh, well, my for my family and my dad um, and my cousins. Because although I I'm you know I'm a white guy, right? But my dad's an Indian guy, and um, people you know people turn up and they just assume they say to him, "So, but when did you convert?" The idea that he's a convert or the idea that that he can't be Indian and Jewish means that people they see his ethnicity and make an assumption about how his Jewishness might be constructed it's not an evil thing right it's just not knowing that there have been Jews in India for over 2,000 years right they just don't know that stuff we're both on the mission to try and let people know about these other communities but when you bump up against it it does make the ethnic that there's an ethnicity question that becomes primary and in conflict almost with the Jewish identity or with the Jewishness. So that's really, that's a really interesting distinction that you've raised. I always been promoting the idea of some kind of cultural intersectionality, like intersectionality is a way to have this way of the theory that overlap with various social identities, such as, you know, like race or ethnicity or, you know, gender and class, you know, that contributes to a specific type of systematic aspect of oppression, discrimination, um, like, my Igbo ethnicity, like the Igbos suffered um, genocide through what's happened in the Biafran War, and then the Jews suffered heavily during the Holocaust. So that, that sort of thing plays a part in terms of discrimination and, and oppression from this, from other groups and this, you know, what's going on at the moment, you know, there's this idea of the Igbos bringing back Biafra, and then the Jewish community, there's this struggle with Israel as a, as a Jewish state. I'm proud of my Jewish identity, but also I want to just keep my Igbo um, heritage kicking in with, because, you know, there's, we've got this um, philosophy called Omenana or Odin Allah, you know, this philosophy has been stood for the test of time, you know, to understand the basics of Igbo philosophy. So, you know, mm-hmm. this idea of cosmology and the logical concept that makes a few presentations and, you know, way of looking in terms of, metaphysical and scientific beliefs and sacred and social environmental aspects what i wanted to do is promote more of that aspect of intersectionality within a jewish identity and a non-jewish identity and how those two play together socially economically even sustainability as well in terms of 
how we, as you know, as myself, surviving within the climate crisis in terms of difficulties, in terms of the, the social context and the cost of living is a struggle to survive. So all of those things is just finding those two components to play together in terms of my identity, just to, you know, fully adapt to that area where not only I can survive, but how I can actually learn and adjust. I think that's what these ancient connections can do, right? Which is they can give us uh, lessons and places to go back to in the past and, and connections, as you say, intersectionalities that are ancient, right? So whether it's Jews traveling across Africa, bringing faith and stories across to new communities and settling in different places or uh, but also finding new philosophies and accommodating those and bringing those together to survive right mm. that's a story of survival that that you know which is kind of what we're all doing right which is yeah. now we're making sense of our identities now and mm. i'm i guess i think that's a really it's a really powerful and active creative process that you're, that you're engaged with and that's really cool There's never a bad time to talk about food. So, Kenneth, what's on your plate? Ah, man. it's it's actually a fascinating question because it, you know food defines our culture and identity within those spaces. When I've been brought up in social housing, and in order to get to know my um, fellow neighbours, I think you smell the food and the icebreaker aspect of you know meeting people together. My next door neighbour back then was some, from Somalia. And we smell the Somali food, it's amazing. Then you you uh, go to the other side of your neighbor, they're from India. And then below then, he's got your Turkish neighbors and Indian neighbors. It's it's a way to understand their culture. And it's amazing. Mm. That's where things come together. And I think that's where I've always believed that food was the way to understand other people. You know, we enjoy, the, we enjoy food, having a time to chat, time to socialize. I think that's where that helps me to engage how food can define their their identity. So it's like with with my upbringing in terms of what the food that means to me, Jewish. I, funny enough, I had a lot of um, you know rice being brought up with a lot of rice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's 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 a it's a Igbo thing, Nigerian thing as well as a Mishrahi Safadi thing as well. Most of it is like Moroccan, like mm-hmm. mm-hmm. chickpea with hummus with mixed spices, and then any form of rice is you know. In West Africa, we have a popular dish called jollof rice, which is quite trendy without West Africa. Um, Nigerian jollof rice is good, but Senegalese jollof rice is one of the best in terms of just the... I'm not going to get into that argument. No, They're no, all, no. I've, I haven't I'm, yet tasted one that I haven't enjoyed, no. so I'm not getting oh, into who's the best. <laughs> I don't want to annoy, but Senegalese, <laughs> just Senegalese jollof rice is the way forward. And then, <laughs> you, have, um, and then you have stew and soup. You know, I... I tend to make this because I, I visited Morocco in 2016 and, mm-hmm. and just then I've been making this all the time. Like, I don't know if you've ever had Moroccan hariba uh, uh, soup, which is like... Mm-hmm. It's Tell like, me about it. Yeah, uh, Moroccan hariba uh, soup, it's like, um, it's like a mix of lentils, um, mm-hmm. cheese, tomatoes. Um, there's a bit of, um, you know, veggies in there. Um, I'm technically vegetarian, so I don't eat much meat nowadays. But it's that soup that's quite a popular cuisine in Morocco when I was in Marrakesh and Fez. I do try and be very innovative with the way I make my food. That defines my Jewishness. For example, I I had this session of making challah bread. So mm-hmm. you make challah bread, but also you make banana challah bread. Mm-hmm. But also I, I recently made this a few years ago, trying to be innovative, made plantain 
collard bread as well, which tastes pretty good. So definitely, mate. I need I need a recipe. Yeah, Come on, the, yeah, that, yeah. That, we've got to put that in the show notes. And also, I want to make that. So I, I try and make color every week, right? Uh, bad you that I am, I do do it, but I have got a bit bored. So that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's trying to be innovative when it comes to food and finding ways to mix that that thing. So like, instead of when you keep Shabbat, when you're having mm-hmm. Shabbat ceremony kicking in, instead of using red kadem juice, I use mm-hmm. palm wine. Uh, it's a West mm-hmm. African. It's, it's an alcoholic beverage, but it's created from a sap of various species like palm tree, yeah. uh, palm dates. Listen, and- I think there are a lot of people who would just be very excited about doing something other than Kedem. I had a, um, I think this was a few years ago, I, I had a Shabbat meal with a Jamaican Jewish family in London. And they, instead of using Kedem juice, they used um, Jamaican ginger beer. Nice. Again, the idea is intersectionality, bringing those two together. Yeah. You know, they they use different ways to define their character. So something like that is amazing to me. So, yeah, I, I think food is always a Jewish thing. You know, I, mm. I had, um, you know, Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Mishrahim. I went to the Jewish Museum, London Jewish Museum in July as part of the J, as part of the JW3 Jews of Colour group, the Young Jews of Colour group. And we went to Mazor London in Camden and their foods are amazing from Iraq and from Iran. And it was incredible in terms of the food they provide. When you talk about intersectionality, um, I think the uh, sitting around the table with people sharing recipes, sharing those dishes, there's a, there's a psychological stepping down of of barriers so people are open to listening and adjusting their expectations which happens around the table which is which is really cool um and uh and fun and delicious so kenneth how do you do um my Jewish practice is, is a bit of religious it's a bit of secular in between i have formalized my jewish identity through four pillars and it's based upon how I define myself within Jewish and non-Jewish spaces. So mm-hmm. first pillar is meditation. I like this idea of meditating. Um, if you look at the book of Genesis 24, 63, from Isaac, when Isaac was meditating and has his own way. And I feel like when you have your own space during Shabbat or during times and you want to reflect mm-hmm. what you want to do, and it's like a critical reflection on what you do. And from a Jewish point of view, and then look at a non-Jewish point of view and look, like I might bring in my Igbo spirituality in. And I think there's a similarity between the Igbo and Jewish aspects of spirituality in terms of the, the form of a tree. Of what mm-hmm. I like this idea of have some kind of metaphysical relationship with trees and, and the idea of growth and development. And, you know, look in terms of having your feet touching the ground, having this idea of having that relation with the soil and having that understanding of what you can do as a person to develop and grow so I always feel like meditation and having that time to think about yourself and what you can and can't do so that's that's my first pillar in terms of meditation my second pillar is craftsmanship I've always had this you know in the book of Genesis I think especially in chapter 35 verses 10 to 29 that the construction of the tabernacle and I always look into that detailing aspect because as, as an architect looking in terms of the creative input and how you define your your work at the, at the latter stages of the construction process. I love model making. I love making stuff. So it's that aspect of, you know, going back to my, you know, heritage aspects, you know, my Igbo ancestors were craftsmanship. They do a lot of silversmiths. They do a lot of mm-hmm. wood making aspect that links to the idea of being 
going for one culture or another. They need those specialty skills, which I'm always relating to my ancestors as of today. You know, my skills are very vital in terms of building more homes for the for the community in the UK and dealing with queries on behalf of clients and customers that need something to do with their home improvement. So I always like that section about the importance of skill and craftsmanship that always relates to those ancestors that embraced me in terms of how you do your work in a in a way that it is vital in today's in society. That's my second pillar. My third pillar is based on education. I do a lot of teaching. Uh, I do a lot of workshops for people who want to become architects or designers. Um, also as well, the younger generation that want to know about Judaism or the younger generation that about evil culture. Um, I think uh, looking at the book of Deuteronomy, chapter four, verse nine and six, six, seven and you know, 11, 19, I think this idea of leaving something for the generation, for the younger generation is important. Um, I always want to leave that foundation. And I think, again, relating to the to the, those sections in the Torah about leaving a foundation for the younger generation. And that's what I like about Judaism. It's all about this aspect from leaving one legacy or another legacy and remembering those components to define who you're supposed to, how you're supposed to do it in, the, in you know, on behalf of God or Hashem or Adonai. I meet a lot of my clients, most of them are Muslims, most of them are Christians and mm-hmm. talk about Judaism. Mm-hmm talking about stories about my time in Israel, Palestine, all of those things. It's like, and I think it does help because people don't know anything about Judaism and people don't know anything about what they do and how they pray and how they keep their Shabbat and how to keep Kashrut. That is a way to eliminate anti-Semitism and racism. You know, it's something that I wanted to do is educate people as much as I can. And, you know, that would build bridges, that build opportunities just to do future projects or future collaborations. And my mm. fourth pillar is charity. You know, you always do Tzedakah, uh, which is in Deuteronomy 5, 8, 15, 8. And you're looking in terms of the book of Isaiah, 58 verses 5 to 8. Um, always leave something charitable and do something that is um, vital for those communities who I need with my work within the Jewish communities in Africa, country, countries like Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda, South Africa, um, I always tend to help those communities to, you know, with book donations, Judica items, Torah scrolls, uh, Sudarims. So this idea of giving that, that back to them and help them to grow and develop, but also non-Jewish community spaces, um, do a bit of work for the homeless, um, do a bit of work for people who are, who have, um, who are disabled, people with special educational needs. So all of that is just, you know, giving what is, you know, you earn something from what you do, but also giving it back in return just to ensure that person's not struggling. So, you know, how I define my Jewishness or how I define my Jew um, in terms of practice or not, is based on those four pillars. And I always use those four pillars from a Jewish point of view and a non-Jewish point of view, just to have that way to, you know, do what is right. You know, this idea of took an alarm and this idea of repairing the world and what we need to do and finding ways to, um, challenge those obstacles is something like that. I always remember that those four pillars that I've defined myself as a Jew is where I want to just ensure that I'm doing my duties as a person. There's so much that's uh, wonderful about how you answered that question. You know, a lot of people might have said, I don't know, I go to synagogue on Saturdays. I, uh, I go to the high holidays. I would do Shabbat, blah, blah, blah. But actually yours is a, it's a very practical, it's about impact. And I, I spoke to uh, Dr. Afira Gamliel for this podcast. Uh, she's an academic uh, of theology and, and she's been looking at 
various Jewish communities. But one of the things that she reflected on, she said that one of that 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 Judaism is a lot about what you do, and your four pillars, which I haven't come across before, but are, are beautiful. They're really all action focused. They're about living and doing right, and that is. Beautiful. I mean, it really is. It's. I think it's. I. I, I really like the inclusion of craft. Craft in there and skill. I think that's, again, something that perhaps might explain perhaps why Jewish communities have been recognised for having something to contribute. You know, it's because of that giving something in, giving something back, yeah. um, that's useful and 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 can translate and travel. So that's a historical thing. But um, it's it's so much of living the faith that you've outlined with those four pillars. That's really beautiful. Thank you. In terms of how much you know about the history of your communities and how it relates to other Jewish, other Jews and other faith communities, what is it that you feel is sort of most translatable across those histories? What is it that you know that you discovered that's perhaps been quite like, wow, and what more would you like to know? about the histories of those communities? Um, I think the history of, of the Jewish community in how the Jewish community arrived in England is actually similar to how other faith communities arrived in England. You know, if you look in terms of how Jews arrived in England, how they they, they are escaping from, you know, composed military service and persecution in, in Eastern Europe and how they've contributed to British lifestyle. For example, if you look at some of the Sephardi Jews, they've contributed mm-hmm. to the idea of fish and chips. So that's kind of brilliant to know. Um, And you see how, um, you know, of course, there's a lot of anti-Semitism when they arrived in England. I knew about Cable Street. I know about the Jewish communities, work with non-Jewish communities. I know about um, Ridley Road, how the Jews were fighting against um, Nazi fascists. So it's like there's this, you know, there's this willingness to um, be part of a community that could help the country to grow. I know it's not not being documented. It's quite uh, intriguing to hear that the Jewish communities in, in England that have made a huge contribution to Britain are uh, not really appreciated enough, which is unfortunate, so especially the countries that were colonised by Britain that came here and helped them, those that helped Britain to grow and develop. And I think that's something that, that has not been well acknowledged um, you know, despite you hear stories about racism and anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and, you know, hatred towards the Sikhism community. It's just a shame that it's not well educated in our curriculum. I like to know, I, I've been to the Jewish Museum. I, I've learned about how uh, Holocaust survivors um, have have made their their stories known about their, their experiences in Auschwitz and what happened in Nazi Germany back then. Um, so it's it's like, I think there should be like, I like to know more about, um, you know, there's there's stories about how you know Muslims and Sheikh communities help Jews to to um, survive from the Holocaust, and how you know you have Holocaust Memorial Day as well. I think it'd be nice to hear more of that because I know there's a lot of scrutiny over the relationship between the Muslim communities and Jewish communities over Israel and Palestine. But I feel like if that if those stories about how Jews helped Muslims and vice versa, I feel mm. like there's something can actually grow. I, I feel like there should be some kind of recognition and respect among those, the Jewish community, especially. So it's, I think that's something that, that heavily needs to be addressed. I, I, I really agree. And I think 
that you've pointed to the big elephant in the room around the history, which is the, the position of Holocaust education in that discussion, because of course it's important and, you know, it seems like it's unnecessary to say, but, you know, of course no one wants to take away from that or anything of the, of the, because, you know, that's half my family story, sort of, and I'll come on to that. You know, my mum's family is Ashkenazi, but, um, but there is by, one of the things that happens with Holocaust education or talking about that experience is it's, well, it was the Nazis killing Jews, yeah. not so much Christians killing Jews. And yet when we talk about other countries, so for example, I was talking, uh, another guest was talking about uh, uh, her Tunisian Jewish heritage and the complexity of talking about um, the North African Jewish story without and it becomes about muslim versus jew and actually she's like well there were jews in tunisia before there was before islam had even been founded right before islam so there's a kind of there's a history that becomes seen through a modern conflict the lens of that conflict rather than these much more ancient stories and there's some really great videos of, of Kenneth being interviewed by other peoples and I'll put them in the show notes too because there's some really thoughtful explorations of the history that you go into a bit more detail with than perhaps we can do today but um, I think that sort of asking questions and provoking people to ask questions mm. of themselves is is a big step yeah, I think it was in South Africa, I was doing this Jewish conference meeting and I had the pleasure to meet, um, you know, some of the former members of the Black Israeli Panthers. It's a movement that was founded in the early 1970s, founded by young people in the Masawa neighbourhood of Jerusalem. And there's a lot of discrimination towards the Meshachi Jews. And hearing stories about that, it's, you know, I didn't know anything about, I didn't know anything about the discrimination towards Meshachi Jews in Israel until I, heard, until I met these, the Black Israeli Panthers. People don't know, there's a lot of, issues within Israel based upon different ethnic groups with the Mishrahi and the Ashkenazi Jews and then you know Ethiopian Jews as well and there's a lot of issues about their about racism and I, I, it's, it's interesting to know because people know that oh the state of Israel is created to create you know it's created for all types of Jews which is which is true but I feel like in the process of it it's just the settling process is kind of shocking in terms of racism and there's a lot of discrimination towards those those groups they weren't expecting discrimination in that time no. as well one of the things that in the jewish community and i think probably all uh minority communities want to club together stay mm -hmm. safe don't you know don't say don't give people reasons to be cross with us but actually some of these questions these are difficult questions help to build bridges you know because actually they're common experiences and to go back to something you said earlier on I was a teacher for many years, so I worked in all sorts of schools across London. I remember realising that a lot of the Bengali and South Asian communities that I was teaching were going through the same family histories as yeah. my mum's family. They'd arrived somewhere in the East End and they were moving sort of north, northwest, northeast. You could actually map you know they were taxi drivers like my uncles they were doing the same jobs they were living on the same streets and those sort of parallels those conflicts uh, and tensions are actually ways of pointing out that we we're having similar experiences so it is these histories are important to share thank you for sharing yours and sharing your observations what do you think needs to change within the british jewish community to better support and include Jews like you? 
So I think this is in response to the Board of Deputies report from Stephen Bush. Um, but also I've got more recommendations as well. I have been interacting with, um, you know, Jews who have mixed heritage, Afro-Caribbean, Middle Eastern, South Asian, Far, far, far East. I think there should be more of a, a safe platform to give people who identify as Jewish or black or brown or whatever you're from. I think it's just, I think these stories need to come out. You know, I've given my story to the Voice newspaper and Afro-Caribbean paper last year, and they were thrilled about my Jewish identity and, and story. I feel like there should be more stories. I was also featuring a book by Keith Con harris about what does a Jew look like, and my story as well has been it's been acknowledged, and I've done some interviews with other groups like the Council of Christians and Jews and um and the, the Lions Learning Project as well. I've done some talks with synagogues across the UK. I think that's something that I think people are still quite reluctant to go out and speak. And I feel like there needs to be more addressed within those spaces. Can I just pick you up just there? Why do you think that is, Kenneth, that people are reluctant to speak? Um, from, from... I, I mean, you and I, we're chatty people, but being empathic to those people, and they might have all sorts of reasons, but where do you place that sort of resistance? I think it's based on trauma. I think it's based on looking at how how they've been perceived in the Jewish community, especially with someone's got a mixed mixed Jewish heritage, especially with someone who's got a black father and a, a mm-hmm. Jewish mother being brought up, and then they're not being seen as as Jewish. And I feel like that's one thing. And then you've got security concerns. When you're entering not only in the synagogue, but you're going to shops like kosher shops and stores. And I feel like that's a bit of a issue. And then assumptions about whether or not you're Jewish. And you get these funny, odd responses when you're in that space. And I feel like I think that's why there's some that are just not too interested to embrace that space again because of the levels of discrimination occurring. So it's I think that's a common theme there where I think. People just don't know their other side of the heritage story. And I think, I think that's one thing that there are there is some improvements. There are some, you know, Jewish communities and synagogues across the UK that are trying to incorporate a, a platform for Jews who are identified as black and brown or who are Mishrahi, Ethiopian heritage. From what I've seen and what I've experienced, and because I had so many queries about whether or not we can ask other Jews of colour mm. or yeah. other like Jews in the UK to give stories out, but you know, you know, or give stories or their responses to news about Jewish related stuff or black and Jewish stuff, it's is a bit of a of um reluctance. And I feel like mm. I, I I really don't know. I, I think again it's just depending who you are and how you, you define yourself out there. So but it is improving, but it's just I think there's something that needs to be out there for people to be more comfortable and not be judged based on their, their background or whatever you are and in their future is the relation between Jewish communities and other Jewish communities or non-Jewish communities especially the Afro-Caribbean black communities especially this idea of whether or not how those two sets of communities can actually support each other especially mm-hmm. especially people who are identified as black and Jewish in the UK and the US and finding ways that the those those individuals or groups can actually be the centerfold in terms of building those two communities together because those two communities are long long history based on social aspects and music and food if you're looking at again looking in terms of the book of exodus as well in terms of slavery um i feel like that that needs to be um or maybe it depends which, which set of you know communities in the black 
um, communities that could actually say, okay, we're more than happy to help and collaborate with the Jewish communities. I mean, that, that is one thing that could be, there's a future potential, but I think it just depends on the language, depends on what, what is the common theme here? What is, what is the way to have those two communities working together and fight against all forms of racism, all forms of anti-Semitism? You know, it's those things, but I think there's a few obstacles that could that it could be leading to some kind of issues. But I think there's something that could be addressed upon. I've been doing a lot of work within Jewish communities in Africa and the Caribbean and even some parts of Asia. I've been it would be great to have some kind of um some kind of network partnership between synagogues mm-hmm. and collaborate with them in the UK. So it's a practical recognition of of those communities to share their own culture and heritage from a Jewish perspective and a non-Jewish perspective how how do these African Jewish communities keep kosher how do these African communities keep Shabbat I think all of those things are quite it's kind of unique exposure for some people to see how they define their Jewishness and it'd be great from a learning point of view especially you know for the Jewish curriculum for the younger generation to learn these Jewish communities in Africa in the Middle East or Asia and in the Caribbean I think that would enable some kind kind of unity and finding ways of understanding the culture, especially from a, from a Jewish point of view. Okay, they're not recognised by the state of Israel, but the way they define their Jewishness is, is incredible. And having ways to express their Jewish meaningfulness from a spiritual point of view. So I, I feel like there's different events that could actually occur when if someone wants to do, like, for example, if someone from, from the Ethiopian Jewish community wants to do the Sikh festival, that could be done within the UK or something like that. Or going back to my Igbo, cultural aspects in terms of people like to know what's the new yam festival is all about so it's based upon like cultures based on things that actually have some kind of common theme with the jewish um festival of uh Tishabad. so i think it's like all of that is all about having some kind of um network uh, that would actually enable people to say oh i do realize there's jewish communities across the world so I think that's something that that would be brilliant to have. I know there are some Jewish institutions. Um, you know, I'll give a I'll give a massive shout to Shireen Hunt, who used to work in Jewish, the London Jewish Museum, and she's done a lot of work trying to promote um, you know, Jewish communities across the world, especially in Africa. Uh, she's done fantastic work to build a platform for um, you know, people who identify as Jews of color with the Inclusive Judaism project. Uh, which I'm also involved in as well. I'll put show notes no, and links to that because it is awesome work. Sorry. Yeah, it's. I think it's like all of that. I think institutions like JW3, you know, the London Jewish Museum, um, the, the Lions Learning Project and other institutions, you know, they've reacted very well after the Stephen Bush report and finding mm-hmm. ways to build up some kind of diversity and inclusion within our spaces as well. And I think that's something that would enable people to look at it and, like, okay, this is what you know, Jews from different countries like Jamaica or Nigeria or India or China. I think that's, that's something that is enabling people to say, okay, we really, really want to showcase this to everyone within those Jewish spaces in the UK. Jews come in all colours and, and different cultures and based upon the environment as well and the, how they've been brought up. Well, you're doing incredible work on that front, Kenneth. And I think if, uh, anyone who looks, you know, looks online can see that your four pillars, especially of education and charity, have been in full effect. So you're really uh, helping not just talk about it, but actually doing 
that work so kudos to you there are dishes i want to go and make now and you're going to have to share those recipes Uh, (laughs) you've inspired me to think about what my four pillars would be uh you've you know i think there's so many things about your story of growing up in london that i think people will relate to that, that shows how when you unpick those threads there's so much learning and 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 value that you can give back to your current life and to help fuel that that's it's really inspiring i understand you better i understand myself a bit better thanks so much kenneth thank you thanks so much to kenneth for his time and for sharing his story i hope you found that as fascinating to listen to as i did in talking to him please check the show notes for more information about kenneth and lots of what we discussed. Thanks also to you, dear listener. Please follow this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, or any of the many other podcatchers out there. We'd love a like or a review, and we'd love to hear from you too, either by our socials or via the contact form in the show notes. Penny Raybigger and I will be back in your podcast feed soon, asking, who do you think you are?